0: Thank you so much for having me. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tirza and I used to be the Teens Pastor at IES Teens. And now uh, I am the Associate Pastor at IES Christ the King. Um, But I am so grateful for uh, Pastor Josh who invited me back here to IES Teens to share the word with you. Uh, So I'm quite excited. So we'll just jump in And we'll talk more, okay? Uh, So our text for today is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. And I am going to read this for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. Hey, before I start reading, actually... um, I know there are a lot of questions. I know that sometimes you get distracted, but you know, I want you to try something just a little bit different. So get a, a notepad or if you have uh, the notes app on your phone, you can do that too. But if something comes up during our sermon or or just this time where you have questions or you have like, oh, wow, that's new. Write those things down, even if it's, not important. Just write those things down um, so that you don't get distracted and we can focus on what um, God wants to tell us this morning. So that's just an idea for me. If you have a notepad, just grab it. And then if there's any observations or questions or things like that, uh, you can jot it down. And then later on in the service, you can um, either post your questions or even um, in your pit stops, you can bring up your questions, or observations, and you can talk about it. Um, so let's read from 2 Corinthians 5 verses 11 through 21. It says this, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we, talk, we thought of Christ nearly from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we when we plead come back to god for god made christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with god through christ let's pray together lord we thank you for your word we ask that you would speak through me and speak to each and every one of us enlighten things in our lives that need to be enlightened encourage us in areas that need to be encouraged and challenge us in areas that need to be challenged. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus name we pray, amen. Well, my the title of my sermon today is two words, so what? So in verse 16 of, 16, 18, 18, sorry. In verse 18 of this passage, it says that all of this is a gift from God. And, you know, the basis of what everything that we're discussing now is the fact that we have gotten the ultimate gift, Jesus dying on the cross so that we do not have to live out the consequences of sin. That is a gift that is so overwhelming. Have you ever received a gift where you're like, I don't deserve this. I don't know what to do with this. This is so precious. This is like, I, you're speechless, but at the same time, you, you, you kind of feel like, like there's a responsibility where, where you have to um, like, yeah, it's just so overwhelming. So that's what we got from Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross so that we don't have to live out the consequences of sin so you guys um i love mysteries and i love uh, mystery novels but i love detective stories and you guys might know this the world famous detective is mr sherlock holmes and i love just different renditions, different um, interpretations of the Sherlock story. I've read a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, short stories by um, Arthur Conan Doyle. I just love Sherlock. And the BBC miniseries one with Benedict Cumberbatch um, had this one quote that I want to share with you today. And it's from season four, episode two. And Sherlock says this because uh, someone just uh, died for him. Someone sacrificed, put herself in front of uh, Sherlock when someone wanted to kill him and saved his life. And he, um, he said this, and I wanted to share this with you because I feel like this expresses um, how I feel and how I think uh, we are... Um, In light of Jesus' sacrifice, Uh, Sherlock said this, In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It is a currency I do not know how to spend. And we can say the same thing about Jesus. In saving our lives, he conferred a value on it. It is a currency that we need to figure out how to spend. And so my question for all of us this morning is, so what? what now? What do we do now? And in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, uh, the apostle Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and he covered a few different things. Paul is telling the church in Corinth that everything he does is to benefit the church and to bring glory to God. And it's something that we see in Paul's story. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see uh, Paul's conversion story, and you'll see how he changed. Uh, and then everything since when he encountered Jesus, everything he did was uh, to benefit the church and to bring glory to God. And this is um, the message translation of the Second Corinthians passage. One of the sentences says this, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. That's Paul's sentiments about how to respond to this gift that we have all received. Paul says, Christ's love has the first and last word in everything that he does. So I have a question for you who has the last word in your life? Who who determines the bottom line in your life? And so my first point is this that when we understand just the gravity of of this Gift that we have been given the importance of this gift that we have been given the first thing that happens is a change of allegiance Our allegiance is no longer to uh, Sin it's no longer to our Selfish nature. It's no longer to our um, Sinful nature, but it is to Christ. And um, I'll share I'll show another quote for you. This is actually from one of actually, this is my favorite book ever um, so far. And it's called Surprised by Oxford and it's um, by an author named Carolyn Weber. And she said this, just who is your master? For we all have one. No individual by the very state of existence can avoid life as a form of servitude. It only remains for us to decide, deny, or remain oblivious to whom or what we serve. So in our lives, we have a master. And it it's either like sin or money or fame or um, might be a lot of things um, lust but the truth of the matter is we have a master we serve someone or something and so the question and the question that Paul asks us is this who is your master who has the last word in your life and more from the message version of second Corinthians Paul says this our firm decision is to work from this focus center One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. So what happens, Paul is saying, is that we change allegiance, and changing allegiance means we switch focus to center on Christ's life. So I guess a follow-up question that I can ask you is this, what is the focal point of your life? And I remember um, sharing about this, um, I think uh, before in IES Teens, but I'll share this again. So in a living space or in a room, there is a focal point. So uh, whatever room that you are in right now, look around, and uh, figure out try to figure out what the focal point of the room is. So the focal point is the one thing that the room is um, organized around. So for example when I was in college um, actually no right after college I moved in with one of my friends and we have this apartment and her living area was um, focused on the big TV, like in that big living area, everything, the couch um, and even like the the dining table and everything was situated in such a way that wherever you are in that room or even in the kitchen, you can see this TV. That was apparently the most important thing uh, for for us um, is the TV. But let me ask you this, in the room that you're in right now, what is the focal point? So the focal point is, you know, you, you arrange everything so that it accommodates the purpose, or it accommodates that one thing. Right now in the room that I'm in, uh, in my apartment, the focal point, I would say, is actually this uh, counter that I'm actually sitting at. Um, Everything uh, in the life of uh, of, I guess, my house or my apartment uh, re- revolves around this camera. Like this is where I, I work. This is where I record my sermon. Apparently, um, this is where um, when my friends come, they hang out here and chat with me. Sometimes when I cook, you know, that's the focal point. Now, let me ask you this. What is the focal point of your life? Is it Christ? If if it's Christ, that means you rearranged your life so that Christ is the most important, so that Christ is the center, so that every decision that you make revolves around Jesus Christ. So I, I ask you this, and I ask myself this as well, what is or who is the focal point of your life? And if it's not Christ, Paul is encouraging all of us, the church in Corinth and us, to switch and rearrange our space, our living space, so that Christ is the focal point. And the result of that, according to Paul, is a far better life than people ever lived on their own we are given not just the gift of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, but we are given this far better life than we can ever live on our own. The second thing in 2 Corinthians 5 is this idea of being made new. And you you read this, and maybe you've heard this um A lot in church that the old has gone the new has come and we are being made new in Christ but that what does that mean so what that means is it's not just in our hope of salvation but also in the way that we see people and in the way that we love people Paul said this in 2nd Corinthians we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view so it's not just about changing habits. The habits also need to change. And like the priorities also need to change, but it's about a change in perspective. So what does that look like? Paul says that we no longer see other people from a human point of view. We have to see people the way God sees people. And the way God sees people is no matter how broken they are, no matter how annoying they can be, no matter how much they have rejected God, God loves them so much. And God cherishes them and God blesses them. And we call it grace and we call it mercy. But that is a perspective that we need to take on. Part of being made new is we need to start looking at everyone we meet, the way God looks at them, to cherish them because they were created in God's image. And no matter how annoying your sibling can be, no matter how you can't get along with that one friend in school, You know that they are created in the image of God and God loves them. Therefore, you will love them. You might not like them. You might have to be a lot more patient, a lot more gracious. There are things that you know you can say to them, but you decide you are not going to say things like that to them. Why? Because Jesus loves them. Therefore, you love them. When you can exert your popularity or your power to make someone feel this big and you decide not to because you see them the way Jesus sees them. That, my friends, is being made new. The third thing I want to share with you is um, towards the last part of that passage Paul talks about being ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. So what does an ambassador do? So they live in a foreign country, but they represent their country and their ruler, and they live according to the laws of their country. There's this uh, phrase called diplomatic immunity and diplomats ambassadors of foreign countries have this thing called diplomatic immunity because they do not belong to the country in which they live in they belong to the country uh to which they they are uh, well f- from which they come from wow that's grammatically there but what i'm trying to say sorry is that they live in a foreign country, a country not their own, but they have diplomatic immunity there, why? Because they live according to the law and the rules of their sending country. And so think of it this way, we are Christ's ambassadors, which mean this world that we are living in is a foreign country, it's not ours. Take that in. The second thing, that means we represent where we come from, the kingdom of God, and we represent the ruler of the kingdom of God. And then, doesn't stop there. That means we have diplomatic immunity to the ways of this world. And so we live According to the laws of the kingdom of God. Well, hey, that's deep. Whew, that's a lot. Think of it this way you are not from around here. Yes, you might be born in Jakarta, but you, especially after you receive christ and you declare christ as the lord of your life you are not from around here your citizenship is in heaven and paul says that you are here in this world as ambassadors of christ whoa that puts a spin to it that means everything you say and everything you do needs to represent the kingdom of god And think about about this as well. You have diplomatic immunity to the ways of this world. You do not have to live your lives the way the culture today demands. You don't have to live your lives with the lifestyle standard that the world is dictating on you. Why? Because you are not from around here. And you are an ambassador of Christ. And then you have a mandate, all of us have a mandate, to preach a message of reconciliation. To prompt people, to invite people to be made right with God. And that doesn't mean hitting them on the head with a Bible, but it means to live the message of reconciliation out. But, you know, there's a problem with that if we preach the message of reconciliation that God wants to be reconciled with the world and God wants the the world or the people to be reconciled to each other if people can't see godly reconciliation in you they won't believe it in Christ even if you talk their ears out in order for for the world to understand and get the message of reconciliation that we're supposed to be spreading to the world, we need to live it out. That means a whole lot of being gracious. And that means a whole lot of being forgiving. It means a whole lot of self-control. But you know what? This is tiny. In comparison to what God has given us the gift of eternal life and a life that is so much better than anything we can ever do on our own and so that is my message for you this morning and I just want to invite you to think about it and and think about ways in which you might need to rearrange your life rearrange your living space, so that it prioritizes and, and focuses on Christ. To be made new and to, to have a godly perspective and to see people and love people the way Jesus loves them. And then to be ambassadors of Christ. To understand that you have diplomatic immunity to the ways of this world. And you have the task, we all have the task, to share this message of reconciliation, not just by what we say, but definitely in how we live our lives. So think about it. Think about how you can practically apply this to your lives. Talk about this in your soap groups, in your pet stops. And, you know, this is a life that we have been given by Jesus, how are you going to live it? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone who is gathered here, even virtually. Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, give us practical ways to apply this in our lives. Lord, We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to live our lives differently. So challenge us and and let us know how we can do that, how we can start small in our families, in our friend groups, in IES, teens, in our schools. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us, give us wisdom, and Lord, give us self-control. We need a lot of that. Give us grace. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.